This show contains mature and sexual content matter, which may be inappropriate for some younger listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Get ready for Gaywire on CJSR, queer radio that recruits. Hey, you're listening to Gaywire on CJSR. I'm Alexa. And I'm Janice. Yeah, thanks for coming. You are running for nomination for the NDP in Edmonton Highlands Norwood. I am, and you yeah. know, I this is this is not my CJSR debut, um, but it, it is my Gaywire debut. Yeah. I was I was on uh, Somali radio with Jama Jama a couple nice. of times when I ran federally. It was great. Uh, I don't know if Jama, if you're listening, I'm pretty sure you're not, but uh, <laughs> if you are, hey. Nice. Yeah, so welcome. So you're here to talk about, well, to just, JD's not here, he's fringing. And uh, we have a pre-recorded um, uh, bit to play at the end of the show in which he basically went through the fringe guide and tried to pull out everything that he thought was LGBTQ and uh, talks about it a little bit. So it'll be our mini queer fringe guide uh, coming up at the end of the show. Um, so thanks to be filling in for JD. That's great. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. I've heard you two on the air and you make a pretty <laughs> powerful duo. So <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can top that. And I certainly don't have any pop culture. Uh, yeah, that's what we're going to be missing. Value today. to add. Like I, yeah. I genuinely have no pop culture knowledge. So um, I am. I just can't help you in that area. <laughs> but uh, I'll do what I can well, otherwise. Well, his usually consists of pulling up Perez Hilton and reading Perez's tweets to us. So okay. that's fair. If you decide you want to do that, we can. Yeah, I mean, I don't actually know who that is, but. Are you serious? <laughs> do you actually not know who Perez Hilton is? I don't, I don't. I feel like it's a pop culture guy, but. Yeah, yeah. he was like, like he's a. I don't even know what I gotta describe him as. But he went through this whole thing where he used to just like make fun of celebrities, and then the uh, It Gets Better stuff happened, and he was okay. like, ooh, maybe bullying is bad. So now he sort of like punches up and makes fun of celebrities in a way that, anyway. He's reformed himself. This okay. Is the point. Nice. I'll have to check him up. Yeah, I'll check him out on the inter- internet later. Yeah. But um, we weren't on last week, so we're going to catch up with a bunch of uh, news uh, that we missed, um, including, I'll just give a little rundown, um, that there's been uh, a controversy with the United Conservative Party candidate um, that said some homophobic things on their Facebook page. Um, also, other news stories we're going to be looking into is the uh, Calgary Pride Police Service and Calgary Pride Festival and the organization Voices in Calgary all released a uh, update on the what the police participation in their Pride Festival on the long weekend will be. So we'll be discussing that. As well, the Edmonton Pride Festival Society this week held their first town hall after the uh, protest at Pride that took place this year, um, which was demanding in part that police don't participate in Pride events. So I attended the event, so we'll be talking about that as well. Nice. And then hack show. And then a good old dose of Doug Ford, if yeah. you're ready for it. And I get to play some songs too, right? Yeah, it's all That's curated. <laughs> Excellent. All the songs today have been curated by Janice. Uh, and you'll see a theme, and the theme is very gay. I think that's the theme. Yeah, fairly, fairly queer. That's Almost true. Almost all Canadian. It's all queer, which is good. It's fitting. Right. Makes sense. <laughs> all right. So do you want to start with the UCP candidate? Yeah, I mean... Do you want this, me to give some backstory? Yeah, maybe give a little backstory. Okay. So it came to light, as has been happening lately, um, you know, if you're running for anything that maybe you should... You should like do some back combing into your social media and like mm-hmm. see what is there. Uh, so, United Conservative Party hopeful um, apologized for sharing uh, an old like it, it was an old Facebook post that read in part, "I do not support homosexuality or homosexual marriage." Uh, that post was shared by Sandra Kim in June 2015. So, not terribly old. We're not mm-hmm. talking like the 90s. Obviously, social media didn't exist then, but well, it might have been a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> on some MSN message board, they were like, "I hate." same-sex marriage. Right, or yeah. sent a fax or something. Yeah. Exactly. But this happened June 2015. Um, 
she is vying to be nominated as the UCP uh, candidate for uh, Moskwichis and Metasquin. So that writing. Um, so the post went on to read, yes, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. I do not support homosexuality or homosexual marriage. Um, and it goes on to state, I still love you and I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you to hell. That's great. Um, you have the right to speak what you believe. Or sorry, we have the right to speak what we believe, as you have the right to speak what you believe. And in another post that was uh, posted recently when all this was dug up, uh, she said, quote, first, I should say that I'm not trying to make excuses. I shared some posts without fully thinking how they could be perceived. That's on me. To anyone who whom I offended, I apologize. That was certainly never my intention. And she goes on, quote, I'm proud to be part of the big tent, tolerant, diverse party. While freedom of religion is protected in the charter, I accept that same-sex marriage is the law of the land and is a settled issue, end quote. So again, that is... Um, uh, Sandra Kim, uh, who is running for UCP nomination for the next election. Yeah, and I think that story is, is about a week old. And there's also been, there was one, uh, there was an article today, actually, too. I was just remembering that there's another candidate um, uh, who was running to be the candidate in uh, Laxane Ann Parkland. And he, too, had, um, he, he's got some terrible things on his social media calling the former Premier of Ontario uh, and I'm not even going to say it on the radio, an offensive slur. And, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, and he, he talked about how um, it was just limited to a private Facebook page and, um, you know, says he was young and naive and stupid. And again, in both cases, we're not talking about 20 years ago. Yeah. I mean, we, in her case, we're talking 2015. Yeah, so so like, I yeah. feel like, you know, this is a pretty good representation of, of what they're what what their values are right and it didn't sound yeah. like she was she was truly reformed in that news article either hey no and i mean so was the sorry so was you said it was against kathleen Wynne. so like you don't have yeah. to say what he said but was it sexist or homophobic um, or a lovely it, combination it, as of a both. slur for her being transgendered right so yeah. that all came up when when she visited which she's not transgender of course no. but that was yeah yeah um but yeah, so calling her like, because when she visited the premier, I'm guessing around that time, uh, there were a lot of people who uh, on social media were saying that she's a man or she's yeah. trans or all of these things, right? Yeah. And sort of um, to obviously undercut her and to um, yeah, both homophobic and transphobic. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and in this case, it sounds like he's this candidate is being, uh, he's been... Uh, yeah, I'm just confirming. Yeah, he's been he's been told he's no longer able to run there, okay. and so he's making a big deal out of it on his fa personal Facebook page and saying that he's he's he regrets the actions he's taken. And it's just interesting because these these keep coming up. And uh, Graham Thompson in the Journal today talks about this string of bozo eruptions, and mm. you know, um, it's it, it's it's concerning, and it's concerning obviously for someone like me who's an LGBTQ candidate, and we've got folks. I've got folks who are who are uh, also running up in this upcoming election who who don't want me to have uh, the rights that that I deserve so it's just it's disheartening for sure Jason Kenny uh, had stated you know we don't want any extremist views in our nominations but I think if you're in you know if you're leading a party and you have to make that warning that you don't want any extremist views in your party you seriously have to think about like how close you're getting to that border and playing around with those ideas right yeah and so and how you're attracting candidates who have this kind of, this kind of not not history, this this these these worldviews um, that they feel that they can share on social media, and I think too the excuse of like I liked it or I shared it. It's like no, people don't yeah. passively do that. Those are the people yeah. that are like on your social media. That's the stuff that's popping up, yeah. you know, and you're you're endorsing it effectively. Yeah. yeah, and it's it's kind of coming, you know, there's been some some articles as well, you know, talking about candidates. This There was an article yesterday in the CBC that talked about kind of almost praising the UCP for having diversity in their candidate selection and saying, you know, they're really trying to have more, um, you know, diverse ethnic representation, uh, LGBTQ candidates and whatnot. And, uh, you know, my point on that one, too, is the proof is really going to be in the pudding because it's, it's one thing to just uh, have a slate, you know, or, or sorry, 
just it's one thing to have folks running for nominations, mm. but unless they first win that nomination, and secondly, once they're elected, that's the only way you're actually going to change the you know the electoral landscape. So I think um, it's one thing for them to talk about it right now, um, but until until we actually see following you know the election in 2019, uh, you know if these if these candidates have been successful, I'd, I I'm just not so I'm not so sure about it right now. To I'll, I'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And also, like I think it brings up a good point that it's like, you know, just because you have, um, uh, I mean, not to say that, but I mean, like, to be cautious of like um, tokenism mm-hmm. and sort of putting up different candidates for the sake of like saying, hey, we're doing it, while the candidates, you know, like it's just, I mean, it's just sort of to be aware of the motives behind it. Is it truly because they want a diversity of perspective uh, mm-hmm. in their party, or is it because they're trying to prove a point that they're not sexist and homophobic and racist, right? So, um, yeah, I think that there's like there's a difference between the two, and it's obviously it's tokenism if if it's the former, but. Yeah, and I mean, you know, there's a lot of research that talks about, um, you know, nomination processes and, and and parties having quotas and whatnot. I know uh, Linda Trimble at the U of A talks a lot about that, that those sorts of systems and, and truly, like, I'm proud of the fact that the NDP has a system in place where, you know, the, uh, Premier Notley was very intentional about having women on her slate, right? And mm-hmm. what did we have as a result? Uh, gender balanced cabinet, in fact, more at, at one point anyways. And so, you know, there is research to support that you actually do need to be that intentional to, mm-hmm. to truly shift uh, shift the landscape. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I don't know, I mean, we're, we're, sort of, we're less than a year out to the election and I can only imagine that, that this stuff is gonna keep popping up. It did. Uh, way back in the day uh, when the Wild Rose yeah. was running, as we remember. And it's kind of reminiscent of that, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And for people who didn't learn that lesson, how many years ago was that? The Lake of Fire days. What yeah. election was that? That was 2012. Yeah. 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 So it's been six years going on seven. Well, and what, you know, what was just so... Um, uh, it, what, what, what was positive about that 2012 elections? It just really... That was this, this, this huge indicator that Albertans are... Not to- are are not tolerant of of homophobia, and we've we've really made so much progress mm-hmm. in in what would I, I would say a fairly short period of time in this province, and and it's been really promising. And so to have these hints of us sort of regressing, it's 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 alarming, and we need to we need to speak out about uh, about these things when we when we see them and when we hear them. Yeah, and maybe the fact that I mean, like you can say what you want about apologies and whether they're genuine, but like maybe the fact that we're not even. At a, in a period where the election has been called yet, unlike 2012 when this stuff was like revealed during the election, mm-hmm. um, but like we're you know months out from it being called and we're already having these discussions and people are already apologizing. So it's already like we haven't even gotten to the big race yet and people are like you know feeling that they need to. Um, I don't know if the apology works or if they're actually reevaluating how yeah. they feel about things. I doubt, but. They're apologizing. So yeah, 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 and I think you know, and I don't know if you wanted to talk about this, but just the uh, obviously being reject- rejected for um, Calgary Pride as well, mm-hmm. the UCP, and yeah. uh, I think you know you can you can t- there's obviously been some debate from various camps about you know is that is that uh, are they is Calgary Pride being discriminatory discriminatory or are they being selective like what's happening there and I think um, it's really e- easy for to point Calgary Pride is very much justified in doing so to point at at the record right you know time and uh, time after time they've had the opportunity to um, to support LGBTQ Albertans and they voted against uh, uh, against people like me and so um, you know you don't you don't get to vote against against these communities at every chance you get and then when we, when you want to join a parade do you just just do so right so um, yeah and I think I think we've been pretty clear on that too in in our party that if if, if Jason Kenney and the UCP want to uh, want to stand up at pride they need to stand up in the legislature first yeah and I think, like, to give uh, some background, how that happened is uh, Calgary Pride has, for a couple of years now, asked um, all political entries to fill out an application form. Um, and there's a couple of questions where they need to state, like, exactly what they've done for the LGBT community in Alberta and what they plan to do in the future. Um, and the the, le- the application that the UCP filled out was made public by the UCP. Um, Calgary Pride issued a public statement saying, like, these are the reasons why we didn't accept them. Um, and since then, there's been... Um, I think there was there were statements from the party or 
Kenny saying like we don't understand why we're not you know being included, um, and in, uh, in Edmonton they weren't uh, they weren't in the Edmonton Pride Parade either, and they had like a barbecue on the side, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which you know. Uh, they, uh, but I mean it's I mean it's sort of I guess it's for people to judge like how genuine these things are. Um, but again, as you say, when they vote against like they voted you know against GSAs and all of these things um, over and over again, uh, that you have to question like what makes people think they have the right to, mm-hmm. to be in queer spaces, you know? Absolutely. Um, so we'll see, like, uh, I guess this is a good, unless you had other thoughts on this general. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good transition into um, Calgary Pride because it's coming up uh, on Labor Day weekend. And they, as we've said in the past, um, Calgary Pride has gone through a series of consultations and town halls over the past uh, few years. Uh, ever since Black Lives Matter, Toronto marched in Toronto's Pride Parade and halted the parade and made a list of demands for um, many things, uh, including that the police would not participate in Pride events. Um, Calgary has been engaging in uh, discussions about whether the police should be involved in their Pride events, in particular the Pride um, Parade. So they uh, went through a number of town halls and consultations and um, we talked a few weeks ago about how the Calgary Police Service um, put out a video in which they apologized for, I guess, decades of like homophobia and transphobia uh, within the Calgary Police Force. Um, and I was sort of thinking that that was like a preamble for them to then, you know, Calgary Pride and the Police Service would then make an announcement about what, Cal- what the Police Service's participation would look like in this year's Pride Parade. And so they have made a decision. All parties agree that there is more work to be done and conversations with the broader community will continue. CPS, Calgary Police Service, will continue to work closely with the uh, gender and sexual diversity community, especially through members of the Calgary Police Service Gender and Sexual Diversity Advisory Board to share perspectives and find solutions um, the, the, uh, to the challenges that we face in Calgary. Um, Collaboratively, they say, all stakeholders reached a joint decision that while there will be no official CPS entry in the parade, CPS members are warmly invited to participate out of formal uniform while still identifying as members of the CPS with any community organizations in the parade with which they have an affinity in solidarity with the gender sexual diversity community. So to reiterate what they're saying is the police are welcome to march out of uniform. They can have things that indicate they're from the police service, but they won't be marching as a police service and they can march with any other organization that is already in the parade yeah. wow so I don't know. yeah i mean I, I i what i like about this statement is that they they have clearly engaged multiple marginalized communities like they mm-hmm. quote um evans yellow old woman um who's a, a, a person from the indigenous community and they 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 obviously have been quite intentional about who they've um included in these conversations Mm -hmm. yeah and voices uh it should be said is um a group that formed uh recently in not 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 too recently but they've had they've been around for a couple of years in calgary and they represent uh queer and trans indigenous people of color black people um and they've been forming and engaged in these conversations uh with the calgary police service and, and calgary pride um throughout it so the fact that the statement is coming from all three of them is is really interesting too yeah yeah has there been much of a response have you have you heard much of a response from calgary pride like from calgary queer community on this yet or i i haven't like i feel like this i mean i feel like what they've what they've done is i mean it does seem like what they've done is listened to a whole bunch of people and tried to come to the best compromise possible um, f- based on what all of their stakeholders said. I mean, I'm sure there's people and there's there are people, there's you know people who are engaged with different community organizations across the country who would say that like any police participation is problematic and we need to like put a hold on that and figure some things out and ask some really hard questions before the police are invited back to be in the to be back in the parade. Um, so this really does feel like this is a compromise where they're trying to say like we're not kicking the police out, but the police can identify as police using their vehicles, weapons and and uniforms. So it'll be yeah. interesting, hey, just uh, this is coming up in a couple of weeks, you know, mm-hmm. if there will be any 
any protest as as we saw here in Edmonton and yeah, yeah I'm I'm really curious about that. Are we do we can we take callers or like tweets on this show? Like if <laughs> no, if any of our absolutely do we have Calgary listeners who might yeah. be able to weigh in on this? No, it's true. It's, uh, people can tweet at us at Gaywire and we will definitely as you are our social media uh, leader, you can you can follow it. <laughs> no, I am like genuinely though I would be I would be curious to know what the feeling yeah. is on the ground there in Calgary because obviously yeah. and we're going to talk a little bit about the Edmonton Pride conversations as mm-hmm. of late but uh, yeah I'd be I'd be curious if this is as much in the news down there uh, you know obviously it was it was a huge in June in Edmonton Pride during Edmonton Pride that was that was that was a big deal mm-hmm. for for even people outside of the queer community so and I think like I mean it's interesting to think about because I think the difference is in in Toronto um, you had a situation where like it was started with Black Lives Matter protesting in the way that they did um, and then the only other place really where the parade has been stopped in that kind of way is Edmonton and it you know three months ago mm-hmm. um, and so then you had these sort of moments of like not but like these moments of really intense debate that followed um, in Calgary uh, the way that this conversation got started was like through letters to Calgary Pride and through like op-eds and letters to the editor oh, wow. and on so social it, media. So it wasn't like a physical stopping of the oh, parade. It was very much kind of a gradual sort of, yeah. oh, interesting. And I think that like that changes the conversation and it's not, I mean, it, it does it does a whole bunch of things in different ways. Um but it means that the way that they're sort of engaging in these town halls might feel a bit different than um, than when you have activists who stop the parade because they felt like communication had broken down and this was the only way to speak to their resp- like their respective pride festival organization, right? right. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I think because like this option is very obviously, um, a way to a try to appease as many groups as possible. Um, I think that they're making it like strategically so that that there aren't people who like explode in anger in any direction, and that anger can be justified. Like, fair enough. Um, as we said, like there are people who, for absolutely legitimate reasons, feel the police should have absolutely no presence, and the military and the RCMP and pride parades. Um, so it'll be interesting to hear um, what that reaction is in that sort of more radical community. Wow. Yeah. Stay tuned, I guess, hey? Coming yeah. up soon. Yeah. Uh, but no, that does bring us to, so as I as we were saying, um, in Edmonton in June at uh, the Pride Parade here, there were a group of trans and queer, um, black, indigenous, and people of color who stopped the Pride Parade and put forward um, a list of demands, including that Pride, no, uh, the police, military, and RCMP no longer participate in uh, the parade or in Pride events. They also asked for uh, more representation of people of color, black people, indigenous people um, on the Pride board, um, more funding for different events that were happening and, and all of those sorts of things. Um, and of course, as has happened across the country, the issue that has sparked, I would say, the most most debate within the community has been Pride and uh, police in, in Pride parades. So on Tuesday, uh, the Pride Festival Society of Edmonton, or the Edmonton Pride Festival Society, held uh, a town hall um, in which they, uh, when I was going into it, I was like, oh, this is sort of a town hall for like a general, what happened, let's debrief, all that kind of stuff. What it, what it was, was it opened with um, them discussing their strategic plan for how to engage in consultation with a bunch of different uh, groups within the community um, in order to move forward um, and sort of like reshape the Pride Festival Society in a way that serves the community um, and specifically um, addresses uh, racism within the LGBT community and whether or not police should have or what the nature of the the relationship with police should be with the LGBT community. and so I went. It was really uh, interesting because um, uh, the town hall just sort of started with like no debrief of what happened or why we were there or what the issues in hand were. So it sort of like went directly into this is our plan of consultation. So there was uh, some confusion in the room. Some people were like, why? Like, what are we actually discussing? What are we um, uh, what is being debated here? Um, but their plan is um, they're going to do over the next 
four and a half months, they're going to do like a series of consultations with different people who are interested, mm-hmm. um, like people who have a stake in what is going on uh, in the Pride Parade, right? So, um, did they name the various groups with which they they'd did. be engaging? Yeah. So they said like uh, queer and transgender, black, indigenous, and people of color. So QT, BIPOC um, people. And there was a bit of confusion, like how are you going to um, uh, contact those people? You have to like engage with uh, different people of color organizations in the city, of which there are like um, uh, a few, like queer and trans uh, people of color organizations. They also said uh, like all major LGBT organizations in the city, including things like HIV Edmonton, the Pride Center, um, the different university organizations. Uh, they didn't mention gay wire, but we're here. Yeah, yeah. We, we better. You yeah. should reach out to them, Alexa. Yeah, we should. Yeah, uh, all two of us. Um, they also said, and this was an interesting part. So they said that they also include um, corporate sponsors who. Uh, who um, obviously sponsored the Pride Parade. And one of the just... Par- pardon me? What did I say? But uh, Corporate sponsors? Did I hear that right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so sorry, I just I got distracted there for a minute. So yeah. so they're going to engage, rightly so, uh, queer, trans, uh, people of color, mm-hmm. so and so forth. Yeah. Uh, mar- and marginalized communities that are yes. affected by this issue. And, and sorry, you said corporate sponsors as well? Yes. <laughs> so please, as we please know, elaborate. Yeah, so as we know, people like, uh, or corporations like TD and all that sort of stuff uh, sponsor the Pride Parade in various different ways. There's a whole bunch of other them, but P- but TD has been one of the biggest ones uh, across Canada. And so they said that they are going to um, uh, consult with them uh, because they have a stake in what happens at Pride. And we can like think about exactly what they mean. But also they said because um, corporations are dealing with um, racism and discrimination in their corporations, they might have good ideas on how uh, the LGBT community can address racism. And that was sort of a point that I thought was really strange mm-hmm. and troubling because it's, it's, it's saying we should go to corporate organizations to ask them how they deal with racism in order to then apply it to the LGBT community where it's a very specific way in which racism replicates itself in our LGBT community. Absolutely. And I'm not sure an HR department from a major Uh, bank or oil company. Yeah. (laughs) Full disclosure, I was not at that meeting. um, But upon hearing that, that that makes me a little bit bit, uh, uneasy. Um, You know, hey, here's Sally and Dave from uh, from TD or whichever corporation you want (laughs) to you want to say not to pick on TD necessarily. But But they're the biggest one. They just are. Yeah, that seems a a, a touch problematic to be honest when as you said whose whose voices are you really accessing in those conversations and particularly because we're talking I mean we're talking about Edmonton pride so I'm not sure what the value is in looking beyond our I, I don't know I, I again yeah. I mean I just as soon as you said that I, I got a little bit uh, concerned <laughs> no and I think like did, I did, think did that did that conversation come up at the meeting did people know people, did people didn't, ask about people that, didn't really hit on that point okay um, and and what they had done was like beforehand to just back it up beforehand uh, when you registered for the event you could register to be a speaker um, and I think that that was their way of like you know trying to figure out a way that if they have however many speakers that they give everybody a certain amount of time so that they don't you know we're not there for four hours or that people don't get heard um and so i think like people it's it seemed like the majority of the people who spoke had sort of pre-written notes okay so they weren't anticipating that this would come up oh so they didn't really respond to it but okay um but i think an interesting thing with that as well is like it comes from obviously pride festivals like across north america have heavily depended on corporate sponsorship over the past 20 years to like exist right and so from an ngo perspective like you can see how they're like well we don't want to tick off our corporate sponsors but it's not like if if your corporate sponsor is like i don't like the way that you're dealing with racism in the lgbt community right maybe you should rethink whether they should be your corporate sponsor you know yeah and i mean and truly i don't know enough about uh, corporate involvement in pride uh, but i do know a lot of folks have concerns about it um but 
I, I, yeah, I just it, it makes me it makes me a little bit queasy uh, just thinking about thinking about access. I guess the other concern I have, Alexa, is timelines here because you've said mm-hmm. there's a lot of folks that they're going to be engaging with, right? And yeah. if we're needing to prioritize those voices that need to be heard, mm-hmm. perhaps corporate voices should be a little bit lower on the on the list of priorities. Yeah. I just worry about ambitious ambitious timelines and a lot of work that needs to be done. No, absolutely. And so the to, to just like end off the list. So they also included uh, like city council uh, members and like people who are affiliated with city council. Um, and I think, and then sort of opening, they said that there's going to be a survey of uh, that will be open to the entire LGBT community in Edmonton. So I think those are sort of the major, if I missed, oh, and they'll be consulting the police, RCMP and military members as well. Um, so those are the big groups that they would be uh, consulting. And as you said, yeah, um, to do that in four and a half months is incredibly ambitious. And people in the room did bring up the fact that like the vast majority of this, if not all of this work will be done by volunteers. So this is like a huge recipe wow. for volunteer burnout. Um, and uh, in my mind, um, listening to the people in the room, like there's an acknowledgement that this will take a lot of work and we're dealing with like wow. really systemic, deep rooted issues in the community and it can't be solved over four months. I get why Pride would be like, we need to do this by the end of 2018 because then the winter is probably the four months in which they crunch to plan for the festival. So they're probably like, we want to get this done so that we can plan for 2019. Right. But I don't know like what it would be like if we conceived of a situation where it was like, look, this could take like a year or a year and a half. And if we think like, you know, let's give ourselves to like Pride 2020 to be like, we're going to roll it, roll these things out. And maybe Pride 2019 looks really different. Mm-hmm. Like it's really sort of shrunken down grassroots, like really sort of like, let's just get to the, you know, the bare, like, let's just get to like what is essential about Pride and like building community so that in 2020 you can have a festival where you're like, and now we're in unveiling this sort of really well um, integrated plan for how to like deal with racism and and police representation in our community right yeah even 2020 is incredibly ambitious like absolutely no and and I mean it's not to be hypercritical of this because I I I think you have you make a good point as well about volunteers and you know Mm -hmm. who's taking this on like that's that's a lot to ask so yeah, and that was the opinion of like a lot of the people in the room. Like, it's not, it wasn't yeah. my idea. It was like what they were saying is that this this is going to require, and like the work that it will require is that you are asking people of color, black people, and indigenous people to do a lot of work. That's yeah. that that for a lot of like for a lot of people who aren't experiencing systemic oppression is is really difficult. Let alone for people who are dealing like with so many things in their life, right? Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So what they're like. Part of the plan that will involve a lot of work is that they are they already have a community engagement committee that's existed for a while, um, but they want to um, sort of bring a lot more people into that committee. They set up to 13 people, so they're going to be looking for people to join it. So if you're interested in this topic, um, I think if you follow like Edmonton Pride Festival Society on their website or their Twitter or whatever, they'll be giving out information about how you can join that committee and be a part of that. And then they're also um, soliciting for board members too right now. Okay. So if you're interested in that, you can get on that way and try to affect change uh, through that. Um, yeah, and obviously yeah. like to, like we, I think, I think they're, they're really trying to do this. They're trying to do this right and they, mm-hmm. and they want to do a thorough job. And so I just, yeah, I, I guess I urge folks to, to try to support and, uh, and yeah, I just think it's an, it's an ambitious undertaking. So... I hope I hope they can get there. Yeah. And I think like I mean I think like yeah as you said it's like commendable that they stepped back and they were like okay we're going to like have honest conversations yes. about this. Um and so that that takes a lot for an entire organization to be vulnerable like that. Um I think the interesting thing is like uh I mean there were people who spoke that night and they you know there was um there was sort of a a warning at the beginning that like there was no official media so I don't want to say anything about what people in the crowd said because like right. they were there under the impression that there wasn't media and oh, I didn't okay. I didn't go as a representative of Gaywire I just yeah. went as a community member yeah. but I don't want to like you know totally um, say what they were feeling when they thought that they were in a confident situation so everything I've said is really what Pride, Edmonton Pride Festival Society was saying right um, but um, I think that like what's really interesting is that um, clearly like th- you know there's a lot of people who like in backlash to this say um uh, like, why don't you just have your own festival? Like, why don't you have your own parade? And I think, like, 
given the amount of like passion in the room on all sides, that it's clear that like pride really means something to people. Absolutely. And that they, that space is really, really powerful. And I think that like this is a moment, like of course there's people, like we already have like the, the queer women and trans march that is more radical and that is different. That's not part of the pride, Edmonton Pride Festival. Um, but I think like it shows that like people are still invested in this pride parade. They still want it to like, be different they think and they believe that there's like a lot of potential in it right so yeah. I think like as a community we can I don't know we can like be proud of that <laughs> like we have this like cultural political thing that still has a lot of power and that people are invested in and so it makes sense that people are like passionate about what it looks like and were there any plans from that conversation to have follow-up meetings at all or is it basically like you said you can you can reach out to yeah. the pride festival society get involved um, but I'm trying to remember. Like, I think that they did. Say, yeah. So they did say that, like, in the fall, they'd be because this wasn't actually a town hall. It was like a community con. Like, it was a community engagement session. I guess that's what they called it. Okay. Something like that. So it wasn't officially a town hall. But part of their plan, yes, is to have a town hall uh, where they're sort of going to like debrief. I guess, initial findings and that kind of stuff. And then they're going to put out a final report. They said, like, as it is now in the schedule by the end of 2018, although, as we said, that might take longer. Yeah, um, yeah so there's a, there will be, like, um, opportunities for people to uh, weigh in and say how they feel and, of course, look out for that community survey that's going to be uh, coming out as well. Great. Yeah. Girl, it's your time. Don't ever ever change your mind Cause you're mine This is Vivek Shreya, author of Even This Page Is White and She of the Mountains and one half of the music duo Too Attached. You're listening to Gay Wire on CJSR. I'm never gonna hide you Never gonna fight you again Not for any Hey there, you're listening to Gaywire with Janice Irwin. And, and you, Alexa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just Alexa, yeah. <laughs> so we have some uh, fringe tips oh, yeah. coming from us, but also you said there's an article. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, you're going to share some tips here right away, but I should just highlight our friends at View Weekly have a really uh, great article this week uh, in their Fringe edition, and the article is called Serving You LGBTQ2S Plus Realness, and they are highlighting the Fringe plays that explore queer identity and experience, and there look to be some amazing Fringe plays this year. Yeah, totally. Um, so what we also did is uh, J.D., uh, our co-host, uh, is a huge Fringe fan. And so he has a very detailed schedule laid out. Um, I think there's some washroom breaks in there, I hope, for his sake. Good, good. But he went through the uh, Fringe catalog and uh, pulled out what he thought were about 12 um, shows that have LGBT content. Um, we should say that like he and us or neither of us have seen any of these obviously because Fringe starts tonight um, so it's really going on the description and the content uh, so it's not like an endorsement if you find the content um, inappropriate or offensive in any way it's just what we thought looked queer um, so we're going to go ahead and give that a listen and then we'll be back uh, and close the show oh man we only have a little bit of time left Dang. yeah so here we go Hey, J.D. <laughs> All right, so you want to hear about Edmonton International Fringe Theatre Festival? Which starts tonight. It starts tonight yeah. on August 16th, and it runs until August 26th. So, I've gone through the program and tried to find some queer shows. Well, anything that touches on LGBTQ that I can tell. I'm sure there's a lot of shows that have a lot of cool queer content, but just based on the descriptions, um, I, these are the few that I gathered. Right, which can be hard, because like, if the title and the description doesn't say anything overtly LGBTQ, you kind of have to read the codes or guess. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's still probably a tendency, if you have a gay play, 
unless you're really trying to just cater to the queer audience, you're going to downplay that because, I mean, most theater goers still are straight, so they want to get as many people in the door as they can. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting for sure. Yeah. So the ones that came across as LGBTQ... If we pause for half a second that you can get out your pen and paper or your own fringe guide and follow along. But uh, sure, yeah, I jot down the names that we're saying for sure. Oh, yeah. I'll read the repeat the name at the end of each description. Doe is called heroin. Here's the description. It's 1722. Anne, Bonnie and Mary Reed, two legendary women, await the gallows for crimes of piracy and cross-dressing. I already like it. One wishes repentance, and the other refuses to give up without a fight. Heroine dives into rising through rank or reputation among men, love, and what being a real woman means. So you have pirates cross-dressing. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, when I was in Europe, I saw um, in a museum a kind of a documentation about a lot of these women who were pirates or... Uh, military leaders, like legit military leaders in the in the Navy yeah, way back in the 1700s. I think today we could consider a lot of them like would have been lesbians or trans if we had those terms back then. Um, but yeah, there's quite a few. Mm, yeah. So that's showing at the Global News Walterdale Theatre. And again, that's heroin. Also PG. <laughs> I think we're going to see a trend. Yeah. Also at the same theater, also at the Walterdale Theater, we got Nona's Story, an operatic and intergenerational yet bittersweet cross-section of an immigrant Neapolitan-Italian-Canadian matriarch's life and that of her boisterous blue-collar working-class family. Told through the lens of the formerly Edmontonian queer performing artist author of the story, it examines why it's important to remember and honor who and where we came from. And that's Nona's story, and if you're wondering who that Edmontonian artist author is, it's Antonio Bavaro. Oh, nice. Yeah, he's back. Uh, didn't he do a lot of Hedwig? He did Hedwig, yeah. and that was a yeah, huge success years ago. And then the year before, or a couple years before, he was Frank and Furter in the Rocky Horror, Pic- or Rocky Horror Show when they did that on stage. Um, and yeah, yeah. Uh, big presence in the uh, artistic and drag community and we miss him and so excited that he's back that's Nona's story next we got Harun so after his mother dies Harun a queer Arab is struck with visions of a dystopian future meanwhile his friends a group of 20 something sorry 20 something year old liberal university students struggle to organize a protest Prophecy and politics collide in this contemplation of finding hope in the darkest depths. That's at Academy at King Edward School. Or sorry, King Edward, Academy at King Edward. Not to be confused with King Edward School. It's across the street. <laughs> and it's called Harun. And was that a local artist too? or He's from Edmonton. Nice. Well, the theater company's from Edmonton. Okay. Uh, also, at the same venue is Miss Cast. So Miss Cast is a cabaret of epic proportions. Forget everything you know about Broadway. Gender bending, mind blowing, body bending, guaranteed to entertain, inspire, and elate. Miss Cast has it all, from the romantic ballads to roaring tap. Miss Cast is one you don't want to miss. So nice. Not overtly queer, but it's got gender bending and is about Broadway, so I'm counting it. Yeah, that's the kind of code reading we were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> The picture is a picture of a person with a beard and long, I would say, a false eyelashes. So Amazing. There you go. Sounds good. Miscast, also at Academy at King Edward. So i got to flip a few pages now. Fair enough. There are a lot of other shows that potentially probably are LGBTQ in some way, but I... Um, yeah, I was going for more of the overt ones. Mm-hmm. So here is a show called She Was a Great Dad. So it's 1950. Johnny Swinton, an accomplished musician with a wife and son, has a secret. He's a woman. Susan Jeremy, uh, in brackets, teacher in the house, Brazil, nuts, PS69. Uh, I guess that's 
previous performance she's done. She returns with a jazz-infused tale of love and secrecy based on the life of Billy Tipton. So that's She Was a Great Dad, and that's at the TELUS Phone Museum. Rated family-friendly. Nice. Good. (laughs) This is the time when you can think about the beer gardens and all the other activities to do at Fringe. Oh, yeah. there's. I I only went through the program for the stage shows. There's buskers. There's beer gardens. Vendors of all kinds. Lots to do. Mm -hmm. It's 10 days. Next show I've got is called... Is It How Clowns Have Sex? A one-woman queer clown sex ed show. Amazing. (laughs) So two-time Montreal Spirit of the Fringe Award winner, Montreal's Best Kisser Mm -hmm. in 2015, and certified sexpert Fiona Ross stars as Ms. Beatrix Haven, who knows a bit about sex but finds it stressful. Watch as she struggles to navigate sexual education, her own sexuality, and dental dams. Hopefully, you'll learn something. That's, 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 that's from the description. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'm terrified of clowns, but I still think this sounds really fun. I thought you were going to say you're terrified of dental dams, which is fair. Um, I would be terrified of dental dams if a clown was using them. That's exactly, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see a clown with a dental dam. But it's rated PG. And that's at <laughs> that's at Have Mercy Acacia Hall. So not at Have Mercy is at Acacia Hall, which is sponsored by Have Mercy. Ah, I see. What else is there? Here we have Don't Frown at the Gown. From the award-winning duo behind Flora and Fauna's Field Trip and Puck Bunnies. Here is the description. 1962, on the eve of Susan's wedding, a final fitting at Lady Laura Lee's Bridal Bell Boutique, tightens bonds, reveals secrets, and stretches loyalties to the breaking point. A woman's duty clashes with the modern sexual revolution. So that is written by and starring uh, Edmonton's Darren Hagen and Trevor Schmidt. So you'll recognize them as the two excellent performers and drag queens who've put on countless so many every year every year almost almost every year they've got something and they're yeah usually the funniest show you'll see so um that's put on by guys in disguise which i think they started at the second fringe i could be wrong could have been the first years ago that been uh over 35 i think it's the 35th 36th fringe so over 35 years they've been going wow that's at the varscona theater guys in disguise it also has another show, a previous show that they've done before showing at the Roxy on Gateway. Uh, and that's two queens and a joker. So Darren and Trevor did that show years ago as uh, dressed up as uh, Mary, Queen of Scots and Queen Elizabeth. This year it appears, if you look at the cast, uh, it's being performed by women, which is different. Hmm. So um, that's two queens and a joker uh, written by Edmonton's Darren Hagen, Trevor Schmidt, and Nick Green when he still lived here, showing at Roxy on the Gateway. Couple more to go. Title of show. That's that's what the show is called. The show is called Very Title confusing. of Show. <laughs> this was an off-Broadway smash hit years ago. Oh. I, I've heard of this. So here's the description. Who says four chairs and a keyboard can't make a musical? In this hilarious Tony-nominated musical, we join Jeff and Hunter, two guys writing a musical about two guys writing a musical about two guys writing a musical. Witness four artists craft a love letter to musical theater. So I know there's nothing queer in that description, but I know having, you know, owning the CD of the Broadway cast recording that they are uh, two gay guys. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so that is at... Uh, HI, so I guess Hostling International, Edmonton Hostel. So the, the hostel on 81st Ave. So a different kind of venue as well. And that's called Title of Show. Also PG. I haven't been reading all the ratings, but so far I think they've all been PG. Yeah, I feel like with the people probably judge it with the content anyway, so yeah. they make their own decisions. Okay, second last show is Scorch. 
Intimate, dark, and uplifting. Inspired by real UK court cases, Scorch explores the complexities of gender identity and first love. By posing as a boy who embarks on an intimate relationship with another girl, it leads Kess to devastating effects, both legally and personally. And this was the winner of the Irish Times Best New Play. So that's Scorch showing at the Playhouse. I've never been to the Playhouse. But if people are looking for that, that's on 80th Avenue. All right. Scorch. Also PG. <laughs> if I missed some ratings and you went to the show and it turns out it wasn't good for your children, you have no one to blame but yourself. <laughs> and last. Oh, and here's our first adults rating. So I can't remember what it is. Not, uh, suitable for 18 and over. All right. Fair. So if you don't want to take your kids or if you want to take your kids... Uh, you know, you do what you want to do. Here's the last show I got is called Field Guide to the Gays. Award-winning comedian Logan Donahue lovingly guides you on a multimedia safari of queer slang, history, subcultures, and more. Hmm. Like stealing hot pink fire from Mount Olympus. And here's a quote. Everything you want to know about being gay but we're afraid to ask. From the Orlando Sentinel and hilarious, according to Watermark Media. <laughs> That's showing in the French Quarter at the auditorium at Campus Saint Jean. Have you heard anything about this one? I've not heard anything about this one. <laughs> it's uh, it's listed as a new work, and he's from Orlando. All right. So I don't I don't know anything about it, but it is listed as a comedy. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. No, thanks, JD. That's uh, about a dozen, you said. There's a dozen, and I'm sorry if I missed any other shows. I'm sure there's a lot of other really good queer shows out there that you should go see and, uh, you know, read the program. Maybe read it more critically than I did. Maybe you'll figure out, figure out something else, or just go to the fringe grounds, walk around, see who's giving out flyers, and pick what you think looks good. <laughs> And queer. Yeah, and if you are uh, a queer trans artist in any part of any show and you want us to uh, talk about your uh, show that's coming up, obviously not this week, but we'll talk about it next week, uh, just tweet at us and we'll make sure to, to talk about your show too so people in the community can hear about it. Yeah, we'll plug anything. <laughs> yeah. If you can justify the queer and trans content or creators or actors or any sort of connection, we'll, uh, we'll talk about you on GayWire. Happy to. All right, thanks a lot, JD. Thank you, Alexa. Hey, we're back. Whoa, that was quite the review. There's a lot of great Fringe shows. Are you going to the Fringe, Alexa? I'm just going to follow what I can handle on JD's schedule. Oh, incredible. Yeah, you got to have a lot of stamina. You, yeah, you, you I know. I'm just going to dip in for like one or two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of, it's a that's lot, a lot of theater. A lot of shows, but it'll be great. Yeah. Uh, so we have one, we have time for one super quick story because we were both very excited about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is really exciting. And it's on point. And it's on theme, which is politics today. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we didn't have time to talk about Doug Ford, but we'll yeah, just have to do that next there's week. There's a lot more political context we could, content we could have gotten to, but... That's true. Yeah. It's All too right. bad. Do you uh, have yeah. the story you don't Yeah. Mean? So Christine Hallquist, a transgender woman, wins Vermont governor's primary. I know. And sounds like this is pretty historical. She is... Uh, yeah, she's the first transgender candidate to be nominated by uh, for governorship by a major party, beating three other candidates in Vermont's Democratic pri- Democratic primary. So, very exciting. Um, obviously, she still needs to win in the general in November, but uh, super exciting. 